Uh, as intimated, our scripture reading this evening will be from Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Our psalm this evening is actually the shortest in the book of Psalms, uh, and actually the shortest in uh, the entire Bible. Uh, some commentators suggest that this psalm was actually used as a short hymn uh, that could be sung during some occasions, especially when a worship service was short. Uh, others would suggest it was perhaps used as some sort of doxology during temple worship, either to open the worship service or to close it. Uh, this is largely because, though it is short in length, uh, it is very much full in its spirit and its substance as it calls on all men to praise the Lord. That phrase, praise the Lord, opens and closes the psalm as if the psalmist is saying, Oh, come all men and praise our great creator, redeemer God. Not some vague entity or some deity, but our Lord, the great Jehovah. And tonight our title for the message will be, Oh, come and praise the Lord. Tonight, I'd like to consider three uh, relevant questions regarding praising the Lord. The first, what does it look like to praise the Lord? The second, who is to praise the Lord? And the third, why should we praise the Lord? Well, firstly, what does it look like to praise the Lord? Not necessarily strictly from the verse, uh, the chapter, but I'd like to just get our heads here. Um, we can think of a number of components. Offering up of prayers, casting our cares before Him and giving thanks to Him. Not only are we commanded to do this, but the Bible is clear that the Lord delights to hear our prayers. We can also sing glorious truths to Him through psalms and hymns, as we've just done. This has the benefit of committing these truths to our memory through this great gift of music, which is generally superior in terms of its um, applying to memory than simple listening or teaching, though those do have their place. Singing also raises the spirits of those participating. It's very difficult to be in a low spirit after singing with your fellow believers. Another vehicle we can say for praise is living in obedience to His will. We can look at John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, a well-known verse. Keeping God's commandments is an expression of our love for Him. Perhaps put another way, part of our continual lifelong praise to God is is obeying His commandments and keeping His law. This is part of what's said by that old Puritan saying, all of life to all of the glory of God. Every waking moment is to be in praise and worship to Him, not just when we gather uh, together like now. We must think of Him in all things, such that we exude praise and godliness in all that we do. Our evangelism also praises God. We not only speak of the wondrous truths of the gospel, but we can also testify to the goodness of God when we do this. In a sense, we can sort of speak well of him to others. We ascribe goodness to him. I, I also think that our passive evangelism, what I'll call, um, is also a, a praiseworthy to him. When you don't use words, but a quiet, passive testimony to unbelievers, we can imagine a scenario where an unbeliever observes, you're going through such a difficult time but you still have a level-headed peace about you. How is this the case? 
Well, it's because I serve the risen Lord Jesus, my creator, my God, and he is good. We give praise to him in our own heart when we do this and before an unbeliever through this testimony. And so just a brief application I'd like us uh, to be encouraged to kindle and nurture these habits of praise in our lives, to be fervent in our prayers, to sing of his goodness in our hearts and out loud, committing psalms and hymns to memory, to live in obedience to his revealed will in his word, and to be bold in telling others of the gospel, and to be steadfast in living in a godly way. I just wanted to provide a few suggestions how we can praise the Lord in our lives. It's not an exhaustive list, and I'm sure we could expand on it together. But moving on to the second question of who is to praise the Lord. Coming into verse 1 here. Um, verse 1, O praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. It's a common poetic uh, Hebrew poetic device has been used here. Um, You'll see it often in the Proverbs where a point is made by saying the same thing, but just slightly wording it a little bit differently. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. The point is that all, all peoples in all nations are to praise the Lord. Uh, the word people uh, can mean something along the lines of tribe or community or, or nation. It's, it's saying all you people, of, all you different kinds of peoples, or to come and praise the Lord. Additionally, this word nations is a Hebrew word you might be familiar with. Goyim, or goy, or goyim, you may have heard, means the Gentiles. <clears throat> Excuse me, Gentiles. And so we see this isn't just a call for God's people to come and worship Him, but there's an evangelistic element to this psalm. It's a call for all of the world to come and praise the Lord. And indeed, uh, the Apostle Paul quotes this in, uh, quotes this psalm in Romans chapter 15, verse 11, during his exhortation to the church at Rome that the Jewish and Gentile believers receive one another as Christ received both Jews and Gentiles into his church. I want to expand on this word uh, nations a little bit. Because there's many times in the Bible when this word can refer to actual nations. For example, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, um, where it's uh, discussing the sons of Japheth, the son of Noah, it says, By these were the isles of the nations, goi is the same word, by these uh, the isles of the nations divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. Goi, same word again. Also, considering the um, the calling of Abraham, by, or Abraham, excuse me, uh, by God in Genesis chapter twelve, verse two, and I will make of thee a great nation. Same word. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So, while this psalm is indeed calling the Gentiles, in, in general, the peoples, to praise God, I would also suggest it's calling the nations themselves to praise the Lord. Now, we we would say, but nations aren't living. Uh, they're not material entities. How do they come and praise the Lord? They, they don't physically exist. Well, if we were to look at Psalm 33, verse 2, and the first part there says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Again, nation, same word, same root word. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Consider that phrase, nation whose God. Does this not imply that nations can have gods? Israel had a God. Egypt had a god. Well, they had many, but ultimately they worshipped the devil. Rome had a god. May I suggest Canada has a god? Does our nation, Canada, have its god, the god of the Bible? Does Canada as a nation praise the Lord? Well, in verse 1 we looked at some 
praise, um, how we could praise the Lord. Well, does Canada do this? Does Canada have national prayers as a nation, both in the halls of power and across the land? Does Canada, as a, as a nation, submit to the will of God? We think of Canadian society at large, and also in our governments. Um, does Canada have a godly testimony to the world? I don't need to convince you that the answer is no. But not just no, rather our nation does the exact opposite of this. In many ways. Well then what are we to do? We, we sit here in despair? If it's a blessing that a nation's God be the Lord, then surely it's a curse if the opposite is true. But as we may know, but it is, it is good to be reminded that we need to be in prayer for our nation, prayer for revival and a movement of the Spirit. Just as you can't browbeat and manipulate and coerce a man into the kingdom of heaven, so too, I may suggest, we aren't going to get this nation to praise the Lord by any means apart from a work of God. Now, I understand that action groups and, and, and political groups um, can and do have their places, but, but ultimately, if the Lord isn't in it, we, we build in vain. Um, thinking of recent election results that I'm sure we're aware of, I understand that there may be concerns. But elections aren't going to save this nation or any sister nation like it. You know, do we not put our hope in princes or chariots? No, we put our hope in our heavenly king and we trust him to do that work. And we pray to him to that end. And I'd very much like to encourage us to pray for our nation, to pray that God remove among us by his spirit to revive this apostate land. It's very easy to be despondent and pessimistic, but this country isn't so far gone that God cannot bring about revival. So let us call on the Lord to save souls as we call on these, Lord, uh, these souls to come and praise the Lord. My final question this evening, why should we praise the Lord? We can think of a myriad of answers, I'm sure. But verse 2 of the psalm actually gives us a couple of reasons here. Uh, the first, his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the second, his truth endures forever. Why don't we expand on these a little bit? The first, his merciful kindness is great towards us. It would be, it, we could not create an exhaustive list of all the mercies that God has shown toward us. Perhaps we can think of his general sustaining of us and provision for us in our lives. He gives us food and shelter and air to breathe and all these things. His, uh, we think of his mercies toward us before we were saved. He could have destroyed us due to our wicked sin, but he was patient and long-suffering. His mercy in redeeming us out of the house of bondage and into the house of God bringing us into fellowship with himself, chastening us when we stray, proving, proving and strengthening our faith through trials. What about the very small mercies, travel mercies? We all got here safely today. Good fellowship that we'll enjoy this evening. There's so much more we could say, hence what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians excuse me, chapter 5, verse 18. It is the will of God that we give thanks in all things. And indeed, there is much to give thanks for, and we should, and we don't do it enough. Well, what about the second reason? That is, truth endures forever. What are his truths? His word, which are true for all peoples in all times at all places. His promises, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We know that he cannot lie. What about himself, his character, a nature that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, as question four of the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it. 
The fact that he has been the sovereign over creation from the first day and shall be into eternity. That Jesus is the only Savior, the only truth, way, and life. Never do we ever for a second have to worry that our salvation could all of a sudden be needing to be based on something aside from Christ. Salvation promises and his covenant remain. We never have to worry that one day the Bible, the word, could, could, be, could be wrong, could be uh, incorrect, that you couldn't trust what it says. 2 Timothy 3.16, our brother preached on uh, this Lord's Day, says that Scripture is profitable for doctrine, instruction, and righteousness, that by it we may be furnished unto good works. What would happen if, if such a foundation was shaken that we couldn't trust the Bible for these things? That we, 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 we couldn't trust it for doctrine? That we, we wouldn't be able to use it to be furnished unto good works? What would the implications be? It would be frightening, but we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry that God won't be able to, or perhaps one day won't want to keep his promises. We live in a time when there is so much false teaching and, and false doctrine. You heard the term fake news, misinformation, strange philosophies and all these things. I mean, we in our society today can't properly discern the difference between a man and a woman. Have you heard of something called a deep fake before? Some of you may have done. I'll, I'll explain what it is uh, to prove my point here. Uh, basically, I can take a video of you speaking words and give it to a computer. The computer looks at you and creates a map of how you speak. Then I can give it a sentence that you never said, and it can make a video seemingly of you saying these things. It's absolutely terrifying, really. Uh, think of the implications in court. We have a confession of you, or a video of you confessing. Well, that wasn't me. Well, it looks like you. It seems you can't even trust what you see with your own eyes. You can't trust what you read anymore. We don't know what's true, what's written by a human being, what's written by a robot. We can't trust what you hear. We can't trust what you see. But the truth of the Lord endureth forever. And as our society turns further from God, and as deceptions and lies increasingly plague our society, I think we will come more and more to appreciate this solid rock more and to give him praise for it. People who aren't grounded in, in the, the true and eternal God of the Bible, I, I think, are like men who are trying to walk through slippery mud. They can't, there's no foundation or sure footing for them to put their feet uh, on. They can't plant their feet, and they slip, and they slide, and they fall over the place. We should praise God that we aren't like that. Not because we're so smart and we are apparently, we can see through that and we know better, but because of his merciful kindness in delivering us out of that. And we should pray that others be delivered out of such a state. Tonight we briefly considered what it means to praise the Lord through our study of Psalm 117. And I hope you agree that despite its short length, this psalm has given us much to be encouraged by and has blessed our souls. And I would like to leave just some thoughts with us as we go into our time of prayer, that we should uh, be cultivating praise in our lives. We should remain diligent as individuals and families to sing and to pray to the Lord. We should be calling on others to praise the Lord, both our fellow believers and unbelievers in evangelism. We should be unceasing in prayer that God would move among this apostate nation. And remember that though the newsfeed and the uh, television may be very dark. The promises of the gospel never lose their luster. And finally, we should always be seeking to draw near to God, as it will bolster our praise to Him. This psalm has just given us two reasons to praise the Lord, but as we spend more time in the Word, and as we grow in our holiness and our godliness, we discover many, many more as we plumb His eternal depths. 
And I hope this message has been a blessing to you this evening, and I pray that the Lord would bless us in the remainder of this evening of prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Gracious Father, we thank you that we have been able to come around your word this evening, that we have been able to consider what it means to praise the Lord. I thank you that we can praise you this evening with our our sung voices, with, with your word, and by our time of prayer. I pray you be with us and bless our prayers this evening to your honor and to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.